listening to Skylight, the Skylight Books podcast. Skylight Books is a general interest bookstore in the Los Feliz neighborhood in Los Angeles. You can shop with us from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. or visit us online 24-7 at skylightbooks.com. Follow along at Skylight Books Instagram and Twitter. You can subscribe to the podcast on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Thank you for listening, and now on to the episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this wonderful event. Tonight, we have Kristen Arnett and Esme Wajun Wang here, and I am so excited to have them tonight. But before we start, we have a special treat for you. So hang tight and watch this wonderful video we have prepared. Wearing my my Kristen cosplay today uh, to play you a little song to introduce one of my very favorite new books, With Teeth. Um, I really love this book for a lot of personal reasons, and as I was reading it, I thought, what song could I possibly play to match the greatness of this book? I can't match it, but um, I did write this song, Oops, by Sad Thirteen, uh, for an album called Haunted Painting, and it was about the the part of me that's like very quick to to get to justice, to being like retributive when I'm, you know, a little bit evil, uh, kind of recognizing those vampirish parts of myself. So I thought it might be a, a good fit for this book, which I love very much and can't wait to, to learn more about with all of you. So thanks again, Kristen Arnett and Riverhead for having me tonight. And uh, here's Oops by Sad Thirteen, inspired by another favorite Floridian. Britney Spears. Thank you. 
place to gamble on the strength What you love you'll renounce for any gain Oops, I'll stop doing it It used to cost me so much to agree-ass with a dream When you fall out of sight to Kristen for having me here on virtual tour and uh, I hope you've already bought your copy of Wolf Teeth. I have already read it and read it to my dog. Woo! Thank you for that music, Kristen, in advance. Um, so Kristen Arnett, a fellow Florida girl, I want to say, is the author of the New York Times bestselling novel Mostly Dead Things in the award-winning collection Felt in the Job. A queer writer based in Florida, she has written for the New York Times, Guernica, McSweeney's, The Guardian, and elsewhere. She has been a finalist for the Lambda Literary Award and a winner of the Ninth Letter Literary Award in Fiction in the Coil Book Award. Esme Weijun Wong is the New York Times bestselling author of the collected Schizophrenia's essays in the novel The Border of Paradise. She received the Whitting Award in 2018 and it was named one of Granta's Best Young American Novelist of 2017. She has also received fellowships to Yaddo in the McDowell Colony. She holds the MFA from the University of Michigan and lives in San Francisco. Welcome, Kristen Esme. I'm so excited to hear from you guys. Let me, give me one second to figure out how to get you back on and Hey! <laughs> right. So I'm going to let you guys take it away, and I'm so excited to hear this conversation. Yay! <laughs> I thought you might be reading something, so I'm totally ready if you're not, but... Um... No! Do you want me to read? Because I, like, I was, like, I haven't read yet on tour, so I would, I would like to, if you don't mind. Yeah, I would love to hear you read. I actually love to hear you read, so... I'm gonna mute myself so that you can <laughs> Thank you everybody for coming. Thank you, Esme, who I love. Esme's birthday was yesterday. Um, 
She's the delight of my life and a fellow Riverhead author who is going to have a novel coming out in the near future that everybody will love. Everybody will love Esme's book. So I feel so lucky and blessed to have so many good friends here with me tonight, um, especially Esme. And I'm happy to read for the first time on tour. I wish we were all in person so that I could have um, a drink with you all. Well, I did this because it's nerve-wracking. It's fucking nerve-wracking. But anyway, if you're here, you're bearing with me. So look, we're reading from the actual physical book. It's very exciting. I'm just going to read very quickly from the beginning of the book because I that way I don't have to tell you anything. I think it gives you a real idea about what this book is about if you haven't read it yet. So here we go. With teeth. The man took her son's hand and walked casually toward the playground exit. Sammy'd left him on the swing set. He just learned to work the swing himself without her pushing, which was a relief, so she let him stay on for a few more minutes while she cleaned up and gathered their things. She'd said, I'll be right back, and keep pumping your legs, you're doing great. And then she'd walk down to the gate that led to the main exit, passing a woman with a double stroller bogged down in diaper bags and a kid so big that their legs hung down either side. It was stiflingly hot outside, even though it was already December, and the woman was huffing and puffing her way through the silty dirt with all that weight. She had on a pink visor with a palm tree and the word Orlando embroidered in cursive script. She was muttering something Sammy couldn't make out. Many, many, it sounded like, or maybe money, money. It sounded like crazy person gibberish. Sammy hurried past so she wouldn't end up getting involved. There was a garbage can near her car, but it was rancid and overflowing already, so she wadded her son's half-eaten lunch up tight in its paper bag and dropped it under the front seat. It was so scorching inside the car that she opened all the doors and stood outside for a minute to let the heat roil out because Samson would cry if he felt sticky, and she was too tired to deal with it. A cloud of gnats circled her head, thirsty for the sweat beating on her neck, and she swatted at them absentmindedly. She picked up her son's bottle of overheated lemonade from the floor, grimacing at the chunks of backwash before dumping it out on the sun's soft asphalt and tossing it back onto the seat. But it bounced and rolled up onto the floor, and her back hurt too much to pick it up, so she didn't. Her back hurt because she'd spent the last three months picking up Samson and taking him to the bathroom every night after he wet himself, four years old and still wetting the bed. But then every child was different. That's what the doctor said. Sammy wasn't sure she believed it. So she left the bottle there and turned back around. There was the man walking away with her son. Hey, she said, because no other words would come. Hey! The man and Samson didn't stop. They didn't walk any faster either, just kept strolling toward the exit on the far side of the playground. Her son was holding the man's hand as if he'd known him his whole life. The guy was medium height in his 40s, maybe, with thinning dark blonde hair and a scruff of beard, wearing a gray polo tucked into dark blue jeans, white sneakers. Her son had on khaki shorts and his yellow t-shirt with rough and tumble, the cartoon Dalmatians on the front. His hair was a real cloud of curls from the humidity. It was well past time for a haircut, but Samson had thrown a fit when she tried to take him. Sammy jumped the fence. She didn't know she was going to until she did. Didn't even know she could, really. She wasn't particularly athletic, and her body was small, but she vaulted it and landed directly on the other side. And then she ran. She kicked up a storm of mulch, and one of her sandals fell off, but she kept going. Hey, 
She kept yelling louder and louder, but neither the man nor her son looked back. Her son never listened when she called him, never responded to his name or to her commands. The man had led her son through the gate and now they were walking through the parking lot headed toward a big red truck. She stopped yelling and ran faster. He opened the passenger door. Samson just stood there beside him. She could see the man's lips moving, but she couldn't make out any of the words. Her son, quiet all day, every day, looked up at the man and smiled, actually smiled, full on toothy grin. Sammy started screaming, not just a scream, a prolonged siren shriek rising at the end like the wail of an ambulance. Still nothing from the man, nothing from her son. Could anyone hear her? When she finally reached them, the man was buckling Samson into the front seat. She pushed past him and yanked her son out. Then her back, already strained from running, seized up altogether. She crumpled and almost dropped him onto the asphalt, catching him by the arm just in time. She was wheezing, out of breath. Her foot was bleeding, she saw now, and so was her left thigh from when she'd scratched at hurtling the chain length. You, she said, took a breath, took another breath. You, my son, you. The man put up his hands as if to ward her off. Ward her off? Unreal. He was about to abscond with her kid in the middle of the afternoon and he was acting like she was the crazy one. Then again, she probably looked crazy. She felt crazy. He didn't look scared at all. In fact, he looked concerned. She studied his face, tan and wrinkled around his deep set eyes. He looked like the kind of guy who smiled a lot. He looked like someone's nice neighbor. I was just showing him my truck, he said. Kids said he liked trucks. Samson was yanking at her hand to get away and she gripped harder. Your truck, your truck, I swear. The man smiled at her revealing a line of very large bright teeth, super white teeth, all even, maybe not even real teeth, too perfect for that face with its crooked nose and scratchy beard and smile wrinkles. I'm calling the police, Sammy said, but where was her phone? Back in her car, along with the keys, along with all her stuff. Where was her other shoe? Halfway across the playground. Mom, Samson tugged her hand again, sweaty fingers wriggling. It's got a CB radio. She looked down at her kid and he looked back at her with that same indifferent look he always had. No grin for mom, even though she'd saved him from imminent danger. No thought at all to how her heart was hammering inside her chest. She could have a heart attack right there in the parking lot, and he'd just climb up into the truck over her downed corpse. She looked down at her bleeding foot. One of her toenails had ripped half off, the littlest one on her right foot, and she was standing in a small puddle of her own blood. I am calling the cops, she repeated. I'm calling them right now. The man closed the passenger door. Then he skirted around the front of the truck and opened the driver's side door. Don't you get in that truck, Sammy yelled. Samson was squirming and she could barely keep a grip on him. She stepped back, dragging her son out of the truck's path. Don't you dare get in that truck. I'm calling the cops and you're gonna stay right here. The man didn't listen, didn't even look at her, just climbed in and started the engine. He was gonna leave. He was gonna drive away from this and there was nothing she could do to stop him. Help, she yelled. Samson wriggled and nearly escaped, so she caught his t-shirt by the neck and gripped him there. Too hard, she knew, because he made a squeak and then stopped moving. Someone help me, child abduction. 
There wasn't anybody else in the parking lot. She looked around frantically and saw that the woman had been pushing the stroller with the kid too big for it was setting out a picnic lunch. Only 50 feet away, maybe less, and still the woman didn't acknowledge her screams for help. She pulled Samson a few feet farther back, worried the man might plow the truck straight into them, but he just eased it around Sammy and her son and pulled out of the lot. It was a Dodge, a bright, glossy red Dodge. She strained to see the license plate and started repeating the numbers aloud. G and 5, 8B6, G and 5, 8B6, G and 5, 8B6. Samson was on his feet but hanging limp, dragging like he weighed a thousand pounds, the way he always did when he was being forced to do something he didn't want to do. She kept repeating the plate number as she struggled back to the playground, steering him in front of her with one hand clamped around his neck and a fistful of his t-shirt. There was something in the sole of her foot, glass, maybe, and her toe was throbbing, and her back hurt so bad she couldn't breathe. It felt like the truck had run her over. Throughout all this, the mother with the stroller had been sitting calmly nearby at a picnic table under the park's solitary oak tree. When they reached the fence, she called out to the woman to call 911. Then she sat down right where she stood and wept. Ants, Samson said, rubbing at his neck. It had a wild red mark where Sammy had grabbed him and his collar was all yanked out. His face was dirty. He could use a wet wipe. The woman came over and handed her a cell phone. I didn't know what to tell them, she whispered, as if the situation were some kind of embarrassing secret. Her own kid was still sitting in the stroller, Velcro shoes kicking so hard the bags on top nearly fell off. Sammy wondered if the kid had some kind of problem that required them to be in a stroller well past the usual age. But what did it matter? She needed to focus. Sammy took the phone and spat out the license plate number to the dispatcher before she forgot it. Then she backed up and tried to explain what had happened, calling it an attempted abduction. She described what the man looked like, what he'd been wearing. She told them about his two perfect teeth, how his truck had a CB radio. She ran through everything she remembered, which wasn't much. She could barely remember her own name. It all happened so fast, fled by in a blur. Then, in a fit of embarrassment, she hung up, only to realize she hadn't taken down any information. She didn't know the dispatcher's name. All she knew that it was it was a woman. She thought it was a woman anyway, with that high-pitched voice. And Sammy hung up before giving them a number to contact her. How would they reach her? Was the callback number logged automatically? It was the stranger's cell phone, not Sammy's. Would she need to call back and start all over with someone new? Already the license plate number had flown from her brain. She looked down at her son leaning against the fence. Ants, he said again, and he kept saying it. Ants, ants, ants. And then she felt them crawling up her legs. Sammy leaped to her feet and dusted them off, then moved the both of them around the corner to sit in a spot without any bugs. There were hundreds of dandelions peppering the grass, wild, fluffy things that stirred in the breeze, but her child picked up an abandoned straw from a fast food cup and started playing with it. She was going into shock. She could feel it. Her entire body was shutting down. She knew she should call her wife, tell her what happened, but all she had was this borrowed phone, and she couldn't remember the number. Why don't I know my wife's phone number by heart, she wondered. What if there was an emergency? Samson dug the straw into the ground and scooped some up, then blew it into the other end. Dirt rained down onto Sammy's head, sprinkled down her top. Then he did it again. Sammy just sat there, too exhausted to stop him. Finally, the other woman came over to get her phone. When she saw what Samson was doing, she took the straw away herself and tucked it in her pants pocket. Don't put things from the ground in your mouth, she said. That's not nice. As she walked away, Samson picked up a fistful of dirt. 
He held it over his mother's head, slowly opened his fingers and let the dirt land where it wanted. Hey, thank you. <sighs> that was so great. Thank you so much. I'm so glad I got to hear you read because I always <laughs> love hearing you read. Um, so this scene in the very beginning is so pivotal um, for so many reasons that do not become entirely clear um, for a while. But I do want to start off by kind of mentioning that this book is in large part about one of my favorite things, which is people who do their best but are constantly fucking up in one way or another. Um, I think Sammy is one of my favorite characters in recent literature. What inspired you to write about family largely from her perspective? Yeah, um, I think there's a few different reasons that I wanted to. I mean, one thing is that like, I think I've talked to you about this before, which is that like, I'm the most interested in like the daily lived experience of queerness um, and what that means sometimes looks like a, like a moment of like taking the trash out or like washing dishes or like, like, I don't know, getting too fucked up at a bar, but like experiencing that stuff while also being a queer person, because it's like, I'm less interested in like the moments that are like these big, like pivotal moments and more the moments that are like the daily lived experience. So in thinking about this book and about like, the idea of queer parenthood, I was very much thinking about it in terms of um, Florida and Orlando specifically, so like central Florida, because a lot of queerness is present in central Florida. But there's not like a lot of queer spaces that are there. Um, and the queer spaces that are there are places that are very much um, oriented towards um, a kind of specific queerness, single, young, nightclub or bar kind of experiences. And there's not like this experience of like, what does it look like if I'm a queer person and have a child? Um, and, and so much of that is like, so not present that it's like, I think that there's like, queerness there doesn't know how to like experience it or embrace it sometimes. And there's this like feeling of loneliness. So like in writing this book, I was like, I'm very interested in the ways that like queerness operates within something that has to model itself after heteronormative um, parental roles and how it inevitably fails in those kinds of ways. Um, and also very much the idea that like you, like Florida's a red state, and the idea that like you already have people that are watching you waiting for you to fail in this kind of way if you're um, queer parents having a child like specifically two women raising a son the idea that like a son needs a father or this kind of like lacking masculinity thing so you're like constantly striving to prove yourself with the idea that you're going to fail and then the opposite side of that coin being um if you fuck up, you fuck it up for other queer people. Like people, like, you know, you have to be like the model queer, which is like kind of a thing that happens like anyway, I feel like a lot of times in queer culture, specifically if you're in spaces where they're like, um, I don't know, this is like something I've like just experienced myself as like a queer person. I am like a person who, if I can bring my own personal experience into this, I am like a person who, I like people to like me. Like I like friends. Um, I like to be like the life of the party. I want to like be the one making a joke. I like to make people laugh. And I've had like people 
who I know are being well-meaning talk to me in ways where like, you're not like other queer people I know, you're like fun and easy. Like you don't make things hard. And I was just like, is that a compliment? It's not really a compliment. It's a way in which it's like, you don't like, you make me feel okay with myself in this kind of way. So it's like, what is it like for, to write into a character who's like, Sandy's like extremely difficult. Like she's a difficult character and that's just who she is as a person. But it's just like, does she need to be perfect because she's a queer person? And also maybe she's a shitty mom like a lot of the time. Like there's plenty of shitty moms, you know? Like it's not like there's no moratorium on that, you know, for everybody. Like it's just because you like, I think there's this idea because if like you've like gone through this kind of like, because having like being queer and having children can be this kind of way in which it's like this is very planned or we really wanted this and struggled we had to do these kinds of different things to make sure that our family is the way we wanted our family to look and then the idea that you'd be like then therefore like an amazing parent is just like truly out there like i don't know so it's like i was like i'm very i'm more interested in like reading like the daily minutiae of like a woman who's like kind of fucking it up like a lot and yeah she happens to be queer and that really informs like a lot of like how people view her but in her own like in her own like personal space and how like her community has like shrunk to the point where she's like alone um, that was like the most interesting part of the story. And like another thing too, which is that I think everybody in a household is an unreliable narrator. <laughs> oh my gosh. I feel like that comes across increasingly so as the book progresses, you're realizing how unreliable certain things that you as the reader had taken for granted um, change and kind of mutate throughout the book. But I also really loved hearing you give um, talk about some of the things you just talked about because I, I immediately flashed to certain parts of the book where those things are explored in these really beautiful ways. Um, I'm particularly thinking about um, a passage in which Sammy is thinking about how um, her social life has changed since having a child and how it, what, what you were just talking about, the idea of like going out to bars and like um, being young and then and then there is a scene where she does go to a bar later and thinks of herself as this like much older person anyway. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I think all of that is really beautifully um, expressed. But I also feel like another, like on the other side, um, one side being maybe Sammy is not the greatest mom. Like Samson is also a very interesting child. Um, and I can see how different readers might interpret Sans Samson. He's kind of enigmatic. He's the explosive son of Monica and Sammy. And I can see how different people might interpret him differently depending on their own life experiences. Mm. Personally, when I write, I usually don't try to know things that the characters with um, the least amount of, the characters with the least amount of perspective. Like I try not to write I try not to know things that the character that I'm writing through would, wouldn't know. Does that make sense? Yes. yes um, but that's very much my own way of doing it. So if I were writing this, I would also find Samson an enigma. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm very curious, how much did you want to understand him as a writer as you were creating the book? I think I'm the same way that you are. Like, I don't want to know. Um, I feel like I want to know, I want to be as surprised as the person. Cause I also think a huge part of being a 
a human being is to be constantly surprised by the things in our lives and also to feel like once we feel like we have a grasp on things and then to like once we feel like we have a grasp on something come to the understanding that we actually don't know anything about it at all um which just feels like a very deeply human experience um in writing these characters i very much wanted it to be like sammy to me feels like so like subconsciously i feel like she would know some things right like she has like an awareness of some kind of surface level things but she's also a person who like doesn't want to maybe deal with those things so if she's able to kind of parse out like the parts of her life that she's able to ignore how she feels about those things but like sammy like willfully doesn't know right like even the ways in which she like kind of sabotages her own life because she's deeply unhappy in moments is like in ways where she's like well i know that i did this for a reason but like i also don't really understand why i did it and i think it's a way in which like people who when they when they get to a point of like deep unhappiness in a situation even if they feel like they shouldn't right there's this idea of guilt that would go along with being like we have money i have a significant other who cares about me we're living in this kind of like way we have a child we have everything i'm still like deeply unhappy and i don't know who i am as a person um and i don't know how to express that in a way and because i can't like admit it to myself and that they would like kind of try and continually blow their life up like so it's like if i blow my life up then it's ended for me and then i'm not the one who's had to take any responsibility for it so in doing this and especially with her like writing into her son um who she has this like very i think interesting relationship with because she um views him in a terms of like ownership a lot of the time right like i named you you're named after me you came from me like they have that there's this whole scene with fighting that happens between the two of them that's like deeply dysfunctional but also like indicative i think a lot of like how she reviews their relationship i think it was the most interesting to write Samson because he never gets to have his own narrative. Like he only gets to be seen through the ways in which like Sammy engages with him. And she has like so much that she's aggravated at him about for like, oh, he's a picky eater. Sammy is a picky eater. Like she, like the things that she gets like frustrated with him for are like, oh, Sammy has problems making friends. Like, like Samson has problems making friends. Like Sammy has problems making friends. Like these are all things that are like, such you a know. common human thing is like you yeah. get most aggravated at people for the things that you you know about yourself too. yeah also if we're looking at it from the viewpoint of like they're related and this is her child like why wouldn't he have like similar characteristics mm -hmm. like you know like some things are modeled like genetically but not all but like a lot of things like modeled behavior like wouldn't children like model behavior like based on who they're living with but i don't know it was like it was fascinating to me to write this character who is like just deeply lonely like she's like obviously a very lonely person but also like in this way where she has like this feeling of nostalgia for the way that things used to be in her queer life um especially because I, I, she's a character who does not have a relationship with her like biological family her family is like a built family that she'd made and to feel like her life is getting like consistently smaller and smaller because so much of queerness like you know is like built community like like the kind of like friendships and intimacies and relationships we build in our life to like that make um 
that make our community and to feel like you're losing that stuff to you to the point where it's like I am like alone would be like very devastating and also would make you like go through like maybe like this moment of crisis being like I don't really understand who I am or like what I'm doing or like what my relationship is with any of the things in my life my marriage my like my like how I identify with motherhood how I identify with any of the things in my life so it was like um writing her I never wanted to like I wanted to experience things how she experiences them which is always also I think a fun way to write like it's the most fun I get out of writing because I'm like a harsh critic of my own writing and quite often um am writing and just being like oh you dumb asshole like it's just like writing and being like hating whatever I'm doing but like the parts I think that are like the most fun are when it's like I write into a scene that is like completely unexpected or I write into like a character's motivation that I'm not anticipating. And then I get like really excited because I'm like, oh shit, this is about to happen. And so like writing into this specific character in this book was like a lot of those kind of like things like happening in like real time, kind of like revelations of like, oh, this is like, this is how she's experiencing this or this is what she thinks about something. So no, I, I definitely am doing like the same thing that you were doing. Like, I don't really want to know any of the kind of impulses for things. And I think when I do feel like I know, then I actually don't. I'll write in like opposite direction or something. <laughs> yeah, and you see these like little, little hints of what Samson might be thinking, especially as he gets older. Um, but you were just, some of the stuff you were just saying about Sammy just made me think about how much I just deeply loved her as a character as I was reading it. But I also was having these kind of, as a reader, almost opposite impulses because she does a lot of really upsetting things. Like there's a, in the book, there's a pretty upsetting scene in a bar where she does something that is particularly fraught. I won't spoil it or anything, but um, and it's even kind of frightening to another woman. Um, you kind of walk a line through the book of having her do the things like this, where she she has her own internal reasoning. I think alcohol also plays a part in some of the things. Um, I'm also thinking about the thread regarding the neighbor mm -hmm. um, and especially the concluding scenes, which, whew, um, so what were some of the things you considered as you were writing those parts of the book? where did you wonder you know am I going to lose the reader in this moment at all um, um did you yeah. worry about that no I think that's a very very good question because it's like as I was writing um I mean you know this I mean like you and I both are like you know writing fiction and we're both like it's sometimes it's hard to sit with the characters as we're writing it because like characters can be like really frustrating or do things in this kind of way this is like and a thing I love about this character and like what makes it an interesting book to me is that she's like, Sammy's deeply frustrating and like, like always anxiety producing to like write through a lot of these scenes with her in it. Like in, in terms of her like making choices that were like, like, please don't make this choice or like, why are you choosing this thing? And like so much of it was like, if like you're choosing to be self-destructive and you're on a self-destructive path, these are like the choices that you make. But, um, when I was writing these, they felt deeply important to me, um, especially in how they butt up against queerness, felt like I had to write them and put them in. It's something, like, there are things I think about all the time and the ways in which like dysfunction and queerness sometimes like meet in these places. So like that specific um, scene in the bar felt like deeply significant. Like I was like, I want to write this scene because I also think it's like, 
there's like plenty of ways in which like queerness and in like in our communities that we say that like it's safe space because it's queer space and that is not the case um all the time like there's ways in which like we excuse a lot of behavior because it's like queer people or the ways that we internalize like cliches about queerness like if we're talking about like lesbianism you know like u-hauling or like the idea of the turkey baster those kind of jokes that like you know like oh like boundary issues or like it's hot when someone's really jealous or like you know like not having like like consideration of someone's space and there's like there's like jokes about processing but there's these things in, that are like present in queer culture, like boundaries, like that are like deeply problematic and that don't, they're not discussions about them. So in writing her being in this space in which she's having like, she's like very much like waxing nostalgic about like her queer youth, like being in this bar where she feels like everyone she sees is young and she doesn't know, like she's like, I've been out of this of being single and young for so long. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm dressed wrong. Like all my makeup's old. Like I didn't even know how to do my hair. I'm like wandering around. Like I'm trying to hit on like women that are like 20 years younger than me. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. And in reality, like, or like seeing somebody and feeling like she's owed this kind of like intimacy in this way, or just because she would want to like experience it and she's drunk that it's like fine to like press and like have like these kinds of ways in which that are like deeply toxic and like definitely not okay. Like they were like, it, like not okay to do, but like, and then her like kind of maneuvering through that scene and like realizing towards the end of it, like there are other people my age here and I just don't even see them. Um, like I'm actually not viewing them. I was like that, that scene felt like so important to me and so pivotal because it tells you not only a lot about Sammy, I think, but it tells you like a lot of very specific, like weird things about queer culture. And I was like, this feels like I have to write this in to this book, the ways that people like press up against boundaries and like push through them. And it's kind of almost allowed because it's like, well, they don't know what they're doing. Like they're a baby dyke or they don't know what they're doing. They're like just coming out of a relationship and they don't know what queer spaces are like now. Or like, you know, like this kind of like weird way in which we like allow behavior to like push boundaries in a way that we like should not at all. So it felt like important. And the stuff with like Sammy, like, being a voyeur of her neighbor's house is also very deeply problematic like that is not cool to do like don't Especially like Especially when you learn about the neighbor's history um, yeah and, yeah i was like this is like not okay to do but she like so much of like how she sees herself and her relationships with other people is through such a very specific like hyper personalized like sometimes like very selfish lens so that's why like some of those like interstitials where you see like how other people are viewing their own lives felt like very important to me and i felt like very lucky that i had an editor like cal who would like let me like put those kinds of things in there because they felt significant to me this kind of like way in which um people who are not like involved in the family are like um but have been touched like are able to like be like oh here's like moments in which like my life touched yours and i'm able to see something and you're you're imagining me seeing it a kind of way but in reality like i'm seeing it in some other way because you like we like we can't know inside someone else's head but i think it's like this way in which we kind of want to see like right like we're like this is obvious how, how the person would see the situation but it's not so those like felt like very um significant especially like in terms of like how specifically how sammy thinks people are seeing her which is quite often not the case 
the way other people are seeing her. I was going to ask a separate question about those little interstitial scenes, but I think you addressed it pretty, pretty thoroughly there. Um, I think also something that I that came to mind when you were talking about the writing that scene at the bar and writing Sammy in particular is um, the issue of just belonging to a, a marginalized group of my or a minority group and having almost these respectability politics that feel important to uh to act out even in literature because it's it it can often feel like oh if i write whatever community i'm a part of or communities i'm a part of and it's not ideal you know um or if it doesn't seem ideal it's somehow damaging um to to the wider world's perspective and I, so i really appreciated hearing kind of your thought process as you were writing that scene which is such a powerful and really, I think, important scene. Um, this next question is a little bit different. Um, so the book uh, makes a big jump midway uh, from Samson's childhood to his adolescence. And also a lot has changed uh, between Sammy and Monica. Um, when did you decide and how did you decide that you would have that big time lapse when it happens? I think I decided like in that kind of moment as moving through, I got to the end of that, of that, that section with, um, you know, where it's like, uh, like Samson's like in fourth grade and it's like, it got to the end of that section. And when I moved into the, I was like, okay, I'm ready to move forward in time. This book actually, like when I was initially starting out writing it, started out, um, with, um, like 70 pages I had to scrap. Um, it was like, maybe more than that. I feel like I wrote like 40,000 words of like something that I ended up like throwing out um, because it wasn't in the right time. It was like, um, I was writing, I wanted to write this book, but I was writing it from Sammy and Samson, both as adults. And like Samson had moved home to like something mm -hmm. happened and he was like, had moved home to like live with his mom. And she oh was- gosh, I want to read this so badly. <laughs> <laughs> so she was like, you know, being like, okay, I'm single, like I'm divorced, I'm like living in this house and now my adult son has come back to live with me. And as I was writing that, realized so often as we do sometimes where it was like, I was like writing into the past, like way too much, where I was like every other page, I was like trying to jump back in time or trying to go back into like a moment where I was like, oh, I'm writing about this thing that happened, that happened, that happened, where I was like, I have to write these things in scene. Like I need to write them in scene. I can't, I can't write about this thing in, like I'm asking the reader to do a lot, right? From like this point of like um, sitting there. And so like so much of like what I was doing when I was writing back in time was like, here's like her as like an adult with her adult son thinking about things that her son had done like in his childhood. And here's her thinking about things that her son had done as a teenager. So I think that that when I scrapped that and then just started fresh and when I started fresh, I started from that prologue that I wrote, like I wrote it in like a sitting and I was like, here's where it actually starts. This is where the book starts. Um, and then like wrote into um, those things like that, like the thing that I had written previously very much informed like how I thought about it because I was like I know that I want it to be this and so also starting it out with seasons which feels like so related to how like um not only like children move through um 
through time, but how like parents move through time, right? Like here's when like summer break is, here's where like we have like holiday break and like in the winter, like here's when like spring break is, here's when these things happen. It's kind of like, it felt like a natural kind of way to kind of parse the, um, the time to be to move it into like him being a teenager because I also think that that would be the scariest time for Sammy because she has this idea about like what um, teenage boys are like like she's like here's what I think I know about them and here's how I'm like kind of desperately terrified about like what that means and how I'm supposed to be like in charge of parsing it and that so it felt like very significant and also to be like a good point to like put her in Monica's relationship in this kind of like right very weird limbo space so it's like them doing this but for all in the house also you're gonna deal with like your son is a teenager and you don't understand it i also really like one of my favorite scenes in the book is her and her son at that restaurant even though she's giving him like sips of beer and like return for like him giving her answers um was like deeply intimate to me in this way and one of those scenes in which like i that danielle evans does that i love that she talks about like like pivotal points where it's like she just describes i mean danielle evans is like bless her like one of them are like premier writers of all time but she was like talking about how like when characters are in a situation and you could they choose in that moment like here's the way i could go and here's the way i veer off and what's informing everything like goes from there and that scene specifically feels like to me, um, like Sammy could choose to like move from the- I'm so sorry. I just keep talking. Um, my computer just told me that it's about to run out of batteries. So oh no! <laughs> and, and that it will turn off unless I plug it in. Even I thought it was charged. So keep talking and-, uh, and I love this because it feels like real life. <laughs> right it's like the antics are actually like they're real um well while esme uh does that i think it's a good time we have a question um if you don't mind a uh, answering this question that just came in was there an albums full of terrible taxidermy type of inspiration for this novel that's a good question. No, actually, um, I think like the biggest like point of inspiration for this book was um, a conversation I had with somebody about, because um, I was thinking so much about like parents and queerness, but somebody had said to me like, oh, like why wouldn't Sammy just join like a, mo a gay moms group? in Orlando and I was like there's not gay mom groups in Orlando so it like started off from this place of lack like lack of community um and in a lot of ways this was like a more difficult novel to write for me in a lot of in a lot of ways because it was like this is a character who is asking you to stay with her um while she really navigates a lot of like like struggle times where you're like okay um this is like a struggle but also because like i'm a librarian also i love being able to pivot to the idea of research um into i mean and i think as writers we like to do that we write we like to like be like okay now is when i sit down and do the research so doing like mostly dead things was like i started up front with being like it did start from like joking around like taxidermy but then i got to be like okay well if i'm incorporating all these different types of taxidermy i want to be like super knowledgeable about it so i'm going to spend a lot of time like really like dissecting uh the <laughs> pun intended like the like the research for it and 
I didn't have the luxury of doing that with this. Like it really was like, I wanted to write from a place of like where Sammy was also feeling like I'm so ill-informed and also like I have no like queer framework to like work with here. Like I don't have a space in which I can be like, well, this is how other queer parents in Orlando are doing this. Or here are some people that I can be friends with and know. It's like, what Sammy has is this like heteronormative structure that's in place. And if she wants her kid to be successful, then she has to engage in those kind of things, right? Like she has to be like, okay, like I have to be part of PTA and I don't even necessarily want to be part of PTA, but it's like so heteronormative. And like, I also feel like the people don't like me or they feel like what I'm doing is morally repugnant. And so I'm just kind of sidelined through it. Um, but if I want my kid to like be successful, I have to do it. So this is my life. And also there's just no framework for it. So like, I feel like quite often if we're like, I mean, right. There's like a constant, like, like through line of like parents don't know what they're doing. Cause like, oh my God, if we're thinking about people, like who even knows what they're doing with anything. But if you add on top of that, like, oh, here's like, okay, now you're going to be queer and do this. And there's like, not really anything you can look at. And maybe you don't know any other queer parents and you're like gonna be like exceptionally alone in this and be like forced like really like try and like pattern yourself after like these kind of like heteronormative roles like what does that look like and that would be like excruciatingly hard i think like it would be like asking someone to like i don't know assemble like could you change the oil of this car but like in the dark <laughs> also you like have never driven a car and like don't know what you're, like you you don't know even know what an engine looks like or any of the stuff inside of the car's hood but could you do it in the dark okay here that's like being handed a child and like being like you're queer and you're like you don't know what you're doing i'm using a lot of examples here <laughs> i think it's just like i don't know it was like one of those things that was like really the impulse for that so there was like not this kind of like ways in which I could be like, okay, let me sit down and do research. Cause there's not like the kind of like ready reference for that. Like the librarian in me was like scrambling and wanting to have some kind of way in which I could um, tell a story through a way in which I'm like, here's the framework through like reference or like research. And that this was a book that like denied me that. Like, it was like, you can't have that. You need to like, just sit in the kind of discomfort of it, which is like, and I think that's the ways in which it succeeds, honestly. Um, the messy ways in which it succeeds. Um, and I, I feel really good about the ways in which it, in which it struggles. I don't know if that sounds right or not, but I was, I'm happy with the, the struggles that it sits inside of that are, that don't allow for like the research, if that makes sense. Yeah. And you can also see in the book, the moments where Sammy is trying to find ways into this, like, what, what, what did you describe it like this very dark space where you're trying to change the oil in the dark mm -hmm. um like making friends with like the the woman um at swim meets who um is drinking vodka and you know so she tries to like uh during the swim meets and trying to form this friendship and to, to say like okay maybe this is my way in mm -hmm. or i i noticed a number of times uh sammy is very sensitive to issues of consent and so when she feels like samson is not um is not acting in a way that seems appropriate vis-a-vis -vis consent for like a like cisgender boy son she mm -hmm. she kind of freaks out a little bit um and so there are these moments where she rubs up against um the the kind of more heteronormative um parenting yeah 
I mean, it's, I think it's a, an interesting way too, because she's like, here's what I know about like consent and teenage boys. And here's how I'm going to talk to you about it. And a lot of times she's like unsuccessful in having those conversations with him. And she knows that she's going into it, going to be unsuccessful. Those are like the most, like some of the most interesting parts to me, because it's like so much of like the idea of like parenting in a place like Florida, where you have to like there's no public transportation so it's like having to drive around places and if you can't drive a car and if like you're about like a certain like like you have a certain amount of money then your parent is driving you somewhere and so like she's like a mom driving him someplace and so she understands like her point in time where she can talk with him or he can't escape her is like in the car so like a lot of things are like happening inside of the car where it's like okay now I'm gonna have a conversation with you about this and he can groan and like oh and like not listen to her all he likes but he has to stay there with her and like and she as she's doing it she like knows it's not like necessarily something that's like i'm doing this the wrong way or like i'm not approaching it the right way but like literally this is all i can do and also like the kind of idea that like habits inside of a household like stick and they go into a routine so the way she knows to talk to him she knows that are like not the correct ways to talk to him because they haven't worked in the past but they're the only way she knows so she just continues the pattern of like talking to him in this specific way even though she knows it doesn't work because it feels better to her than not doing it um which i think is like deeply problematic on a different level <laughs> more questions i also i have more questions but i want to let people have time and also yeah, let's do it. i'm gonna do a shot out of my tooth right now oh my gosh i want a shot out of a tooth right now <laughs> kayla got this shot glass for me it's a beautiful tooth i put um i put like maker's mark inside of it which makes the tooth look as though it is infected which is disgusting but it's like a very, oh my gosh it's I a very fun way to do a shot last night i I basically shouted, not shouted, but I exclaimed very loudly to the waiter that I really don't like Maker's Mark. And then, and and he, I think he was taken aback, like, because I felt so strongly about it. Anyway. You're like, don't do it, I hate it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, yes, the tooth is incredible. Um, also, is it true that we only have like four minutes left? What, what is, what is the, what is the, can, uh, a skylight person? Oh, wait, we have another question. Oh, okay. Hey. Are we good um, to keep doing the questions? You're good, good, good to go. I was going to come and say you guys have another, like, 10 minutes left, so. Oh, great. Okay, okay. great. Okay, great. Um, um, here, I will, I will ask, I will ask you the question. Um, can you talk a little about how teeth work as a recurring theme on motif? Huh? Did that emerge or was it intentional? Gorgeous just of the tooth, shot glass appeared, but the OMG. <laughs> it's a motif. <laughs> that is very funny and a very good question. I mean, it is um, a thing that I didn't think about, but like naturally occurred as I moved through the book. I think lots of things, as a writer, I'm, I'll be like very upfront with you. Like quite often I'm like very surprised by the thing that happens in my work. Like I am like, oh, this is what I'm writing about. Or I like, think this is what's happening. Like it's a surprise, like not only to like the characters, it's quite often a surprise to me. Like, I don't know what I'm writing about until it's happened or I'm reading it back even. So in, in writing this book, like the, 
like the idea of like teeth or biting or like a kind of feralness like naturally found its way inside the book like even like at, like reading that like opening like the prologue to this book like right now with all of you was like oh there's like already a mention of teeth like the man with his like very fake looking teeth um that she's like oh this is like something that should be wary of because it doesn't even look like real teeth and then like there's like so many instances of biting that occur between like that scene that I talk about like between like Samson and and you know like with Sammy like there's like a a biting scene that happens which when I wrote it I was like like oh, okay I guess this is what's happening in this book um there's a lot of things happening with that but then there's also just ways in which like you know she's a queer woman who I would say like like definitely like identifies as like a bottom and so like she's like a person who's like quite often like thinking so much about like the ways in which she like misses sex or like misses the nostalgia of sex is like very much involved about like how someone would handle her um like right and sometimes that involves like how the ways in which maybe she'd want someone to bite her like right like choking or like holding some hold me down or like bite me you know in these kind of ways that I was like there's um a kind of um power struggle i think that is like implied with that um and also like so much of it is like a power struggle between her and samson i mean in a different way obviously but so teeth like naturally figured into that in this kind of feral way where it's like showing teeth or bearing teeth or like who's in charge or like who has the power in a situation um that became like very much a way that i started really thinking about the book in terms of queerness but also in terms of parenthood and then how the two like kind of collided so um no i did not um i did not see that happening i mean it, i didn't i didn't uh, see teeth as like uh, like a recurring mo motif motif um until like i mean i knew that like right like even writing it like there was that scene where it was like the mutual biting but like i really I really didn't see it as that until I was working through it and I was and then at, towards the end and then going back through and editing I was like oh this is a book that's very much about like power dynamics and how like the the idea of feralness or like kind of like who has control like who's who's biting and who's being bitten like kind of figures into that like literally literally and figuratively um kind of so um anyway it means that like I have a tooth shop class now so <laughs> Did the title come, like, at what point in writing the book, or did you finish writing the book when the title came, or how did that, how did that happen? Did it have other titles? It did, happen? actually. Um, I'm a person who, like, it's, like, one of my, like, quirks that I definitely title everything first. Like, I title first, so this book was called Samson first, um, mm -hmm. and then um, I had a talk with Cal, and he was, like, how about we think about, um, the idea of not having this book be called Samson. And I was like, oh my goodness, just because like I'm a person that titles first. But I was like, I was like definitely game for it. It's especially if I was like, if I could do it myself, I was like, this is my little baby. So I'm gonna title it. And as, and it was, um, it was when uh, Kayla and I were driving back from Vegas, like the residency was over at Black Mountain. And so we were driving back through the desert and I was like having to think of titles. So we were like having all these titles. I like, I keep making it, I make it like, it was a joke, but kind of not a joke. Like I was trying to get Cal to go with um, scissoring as a title. <laughs> I was like, will you let me title this book scissoring? And he was like, no, but 
I was swimming in the book like I really made a case for it, but he was like, no, that's not it. Um, and he was right. This is not, that is not the title of this book. But like, I don't know, it just came to me then I was like, I was, we were like halfway home to Florida and we'd stopped like in an Airbnb. Yeah, <laughs> Cal's here, use the scissor emoji. Um, <laughs> um, but I was like, I was like, oh, okay. Like there is like this kind of way, it just like popped into my head and I was like, it felt like very, in keeping with the kind of Florida theme, but also with like the idea of like, there is like so much like teeth in it and like so much of like biting and like things like that. And I was like, this is a book that ha is, is with teeth, right? Like it's like, things are processed in this book with teeth. Like they're like, it's, it's not like a casual passive aggressive way of things happening. Like things are done like aggressively and with teeth. They're like something that's like, we're like, it's going to be like bitten in and stick and like stay. So it's, it felt like, the mode when I when I thought it to myself and I sent it off to him I was like this feels like the title and so I was really glad to hear that that everybody agreed um and thought that too and then they made this great cover <laughs> so it's like ridiculous looking but it is like it was like something where it's like um it wasn't originally but once it once it became a title it felt like I was like oh this has always been the the title it should be so it feels right I have a publishing question, um, yeah. which is that, so you and I both went to Riverhead yeah. after having careers that started with small presses. Uh -huh. So I, I'm just curious, like what has been the most surprising thing for you about having moved to a major publisher? Um, I think how like fun stuff still is. I think I was like, I didn't, not that I thought it wouldn't be fun, but like the thing that's been really great has been the ways in which like everybody on my team has like wanted to like just like do like fun party stuff like they've been willing to like engage me in so many ways that I was like the ways in which I'm like this is where I feel like I excel and they want me to like succeed in those ways so it's like oh like I'll do like a cocktail hour like kind of like happy hour thing or oh like we'll do like 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 this like a beer koozie for the book it's so amazing like I was just like the ways in which they engaged with me on like my like particular um raccoon crawling out of a dumpster level um has been has felt especially good and and something I like really wanted to like maintain where it's like I'm a really informal person like I feel like when I make friends like they're my really like my real friends and I want to like engage with them in a way that feels like you know, like I can swear in an email to you or I can like, you know, just send you like a bizarro text at three in the morning. Not that I do that to Cal or anything, but it's just like, <laughs> but I was just like, I want to feel like, I want to feel like um, we're like buddies, if that makes sense. Um, and that has been like the most surprising, like fun thing for me is like, I can, uh, <laughs> thank you, Cal. It's just like, I can like be myself. Um, and I worried a little bit about that. Cause I think I know like coming from like, um, a smaller press, like, you know, how we've done previously, there's a feeling where it's like, okay, well I was at the small press and like, you know, I had like my hands in it. Also, like, I'm like a party bro, but I'm also like, kind of like, a weird control freak about my work. I mean, it's, it's just like a way in which I'm like, oh, like I want to have my hands in I'm like, I want to be part of it. Like, can you talk to me about it? Like, I want to like help. I want to like be part of that. And that, that's been like available to me the whole time. So that's been like really fun. They've been super fun with me. And so I, I know they will be like that with you. <laughs> <laughs> I 
wasn't uh yeah it wasn't so much like a like let's let's gas up riverhead although i guess that's what that's when let's just do it i was very small presses in the yeah anyway well i'm sorry to cut it off because this is just been so much fun and like i was like oh why didn't i bring shots to take um this time <laughs> next time i'll have my i'm gonna find a tooth shot glass because like i feel like that's the collector's issue too now it is it's nice it's fun i'm telling you merch we're gonna have merch for you person <laughs> we're gonna have <laughs> shot glasses those beer koozies I, it's perfect mine I mean, is in the kitchen i love it <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Well, do you guys have anything, last things you would like to say before we go? Um. <laughs> it doesn't look like I'm gesturing at Kristen because that's what I was trying to do. It It's funny because you're on the other side of my screen, so oh. it's like me and <laughs> you. So it looks like you're just gesturing off screen. <laughs> Which is great. <laughs> Honestly, I I love it. I think it's great. Kristen and Esme, this has been so fantastic. I mean, Esme, I thought you were trying to like hold up like like you were like we're gonna grab no, we're gonna CGI in the book there. Give her the floor to say like a final thing. <laughs> no, I'm mostly I'm just like thank you everybody for coming. I feel like I've been so blessed and lucky with how people have connected with this book and i have such good great friends writer friends who have been willing to like sit with me and talk i feel so lucky to have you here esme thank you for doing this with me and i just i don't know i feel like this has been like the nicest way that tour could be with aside from me being able to like be all up in everybody's space and like buying everyone a drink and hugging their neck so it's just been um it's been really nice. I I appreciate everyone's time and everybody showing up and spending time with me. No, thank you to you, Kristen, for one your book. I mean, listen, you are you are um, one of my my friend Kelly couldn't be here tonight because she has to work, but she was so mad. She picked up your book yesterday too, and she was like, "Oh, I don't." She's like, "Tell Kristen I say hi personally." So for my friend Kelly, she says hi to you personally. Hi, Kelly. Um, <laughs> and I just I I mean thank you for doing this event with us um to everyone listening you can buy the book today right now run to your local don't walk run to your local bookstore and get this copy of the book and it's right now it's at Skylight Books if you walk in it's right in front of you right there on display so you have no excuse I want I want those books gone by morning you know <laughs> I'm like, I feel like I'm like Corella, Corella with your books. I'm like, out of here. <laughs> They're my donations. Also, if I point down, am I pointing at the button that says order with seat? If you point, no. For me, if you point like that, yeah, I know. If you like point this. <laughs> okay, forget it. I'm not pointing to anything ever. I want to like have like a web series where I can see if you can point at the right thing. Ever. I feel like this would be great. No, this this has been fantastic. This has been so much fun. I feel like I'm just, uh, even this last like three minutes, I'm like, I could do this for like another hour. Let's go. But we have sadly have to go. So go get your um, copy of With Teeth and 
Kristen, where can people find you on either in Esme U2 on either social media or next events coming up? Um, I'm going to be at Loyalty Books on Friday online with Laura Vandenberg. Mm -hmm. And then in person, my in-person event with Jamie Attenberg in New Orleans on Ooh. 17th. Um, and also, you can definitely find me on Twitter. They just verified me this week, which is their oh, thing. They, they should. Very, oh, no. The power. No, my ravioli jokes are verified, which is a mistake on Twitter's part. <laughs> and you know what? Congratulations. That's Twitter's benefit. You know what? <laughs> Whoever. I, Kristen, did you hack into Twitter's mainframe and do this? I'm just asking. I'll never tell. <laughs> and that's right. And that's right. Um, no, Esme, where can we find you or at any um, So I can, I am found on Twitter at Esme Wang, and I am on Instagram at Esme W. Wang. Um, yeah, and I also uh, teach uh, writing workshops. So if you want to know about those, you can go to my website at esmewang.com and subscribe to the newsletter. I better see all of you in Esme's class. Front row. Her classes are like they they are like beautiful looking. She has curated like beautiful classes. So it's like definitely oh worth to check that out. We're listen, Esme, if you see me in the front row of this class, I want special treatment. I want an automatic. Well, this has been great. You both have a great rest of your night. And to all the list, to all the listeners and watchers, is it watchers? I don't know. To all the viewers, <laughs> thank you for coming by and watching this beautiful conversation and five-minute comedy show that we put on for you. <laughs> have a good night. Thank you for listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. Please don't forget to visit our website at skylightbooks.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for more author talks and bookseller conversations. You can find us on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Stay safe and healthy, and we hope to see you back in our store soon.